Welcome to Testify It, where we are sharing the love of Christ and building people up through testimonies and teaching. Our passion is to share how God is working in people's lives today. My name is Rhonda Wagner, and I am a founder and board member at Testify It. In this series of testimonies, we are working in partnership with Locking Arms Men, a Pittsburgh-based ministry that's mission is to build an authentic community of men who love God, love one another, and love their neighbor. Today we have a testimony from a man who loves God, Tunch Ilkin. Tunch was born in Istanbul, Turkey, and moved to America as a child. He was raised in a Muslim home and thought that real men fought, cursed, drank, and did drugs. When he came to the Pittsburgh Steelers, he met some men who were truly tough but were quite different from what he expected real men to be. Hi, I'm Leo Wisniewski. I am the director of Locking Arms Men, a Pittsburgh-based men's ministry. And uh, I am with Tunch Ilkin, my good brother today. Tunch, it's great to be with you. Was there always great to be locking arms in ministry with you? I mean, we've only been doing it for 35 years. <laughs> so it is great. It's, it's been a blast. Yeah, it's been a blast. Buddy, you have a very interesting conversion story because right. you came to Christ not only through the influence of, of some legendary players with right. the Pittsburgh Steelers, but you also came out of Islam. Yeah. So tell us about that, brother. Well, you know, um, Wizard, as uh, as you know, and uh, uh, our listeners will will soon know, I was born in Istanbul, Turkey. I come to this country to play American football. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in Chicago. I, I grew up in a Muslim home, and uh, the Turkish culture is um, a very masculine culture. Uh, you knew my dad. Uh, the men in my life were tough guys, and and fighting was a big part of. Uh, of growing up as a Turk, you know, I, I fell for the lies of false manhood. I thought men fought. I thought they cursed. Uh, I thought they drank, thought they did drugs, and chased women. That's, uh, you know, I grew up like that. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of that, not the drugs and alcohol part, but the, the, uh, uh, the anger, you know, was fed uh, by the culture. And, and the, the Turkish culture is an honor-shame culture. And the best thing you could do uh, for your family, yourself, is bring honor to yourself, even if it's through lies or deceit. And the worst thing is you is to shame you uh, or to shame your family or to shame yourself. And so I always like to tell a story of my Uncle Ali, uh, who was a tough guy and he was a wrestler. And Turks are wrestlers. You, you know that. And uh, it, is a, it is a wrestling culture. So it's not unusual for a bunch of Turkish men to get together and start, you know, clear off the, the, the dining room, living and furniture and start wrestling. And so my uncle Ali, and this kind of sums up the culture. My 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 uncle Ali, uh, you know, would always wrestle with me. He always squeeze my cheeks. You know, like a lot a lot of a like a lot of uncles will do. And as I was growing up, he used to wrestle me. And he also always when we'd wrestle, he'd have his way with me. Well, he came to visit from uh, uh, from Istanbul one time, and he was coming for uh, cancer treatments. And uh, he meant to say, I mean, he was a, he was hysterical. He would butcher the English language as well as anybody. I see. He'd, he'd say, you know, he, he was. Uh, he said, I was about to go for a. Um, he was going for a biopsy. He goes, I will go get an autopsy uh, right now. <laughs> and and then he goes, What do you think? My English is pretty good, no? 
And and so we would always wrestle. It's this one day, I'm 17 now. I'm just getting ready. To, I graduated high school. He's visiting me. He wants to wrestle again. Guresh is wrestling Turkish. He goes, Gabriel, Guresh, Guresh. And so he's challenging me to wrestle. I'm looking at my dad. I'm going, Dad, you know, I'm now I'm, I'm six two, uh, about 200 pounds. You know, I'm I'm not the kid anymore. So he keeps wanting to wrestle with me, and I'm trying to avoid it. Well, now he just decides he's going to shoot. So he goes for the single leg. I cross face him, put him on his back, and let him up. He shoots again. Uh, once again, I cross face him, and I put him on his back, and uh, and he comes after me again. So this time I'm going, he, he keeps coming after me. I'm looking at my dad like, how do you want me to handle him? My dad goes, Guresh, wrestle. So this time he shoots, I get the cross face, and this time I'm keep I'm, I'm I've got my knee on his chest and I'm holding him down. I got his you know, I've got his one shoulder pinned, and then he reaches up and he grabs my nuts and he twists them. And all of a sudden I'm on my back in agony. Five on That's two. right. He just man, he just grabs me, puts me on my back, he goes, you think you're a tough guy, but you are nothing when I got you by the balls. And uh, so I, I love that Uncle Ollie. Uncle Ollie was the greatest. I mean, he was um, he was he was great. He was just a, a loving guy. But and he was only about five seven. But he wanted to fight all the time. He wanted to wrestle. I mean, that's part of the the, the culture. So I grew up in that culture and. Uh, uh, one of the things that uh, Leo and I have always talked about, we, we do, uh, you know, oftentimes we'll do a talk on lust and anger and, you know, anger was, uh, uh, was a sin that really controlled me. And the culture that I grew up in fed that anger in turn, my anger would feed those endorphins and dopamines and, and I'd feel good and I'd get the attaboys because I was a tough guy. So I got into this really uh, vicious cycle of anger, acting out, explosive anger. Uh, I used to say that my house, a lot of times between my mom and dad fighting, was like uh, uh, was like an emotional battlefield. It was like emotional shrapnel was blowing up all around <laughs> us. So, uh, you know, in, in high school, at the end of my senior year, I started experimenting with drugs. And, you know, I was, I was looking to... I was looking for affirmation. I was looking to be a man. And I was, you know, like the old country western song goes, I was looking in all the wrong places. And so, uh, you know, it seemed, it seemed like the more drugs I did, the more alcohol I did, the more I fought, the more empty I felt. And uh, throughout, the, throughout my college experience, I, I continued in this. And, and um, you know, I came to the Steelers in 1980. I wasn't expecting to get drafted, so I wasn't waiting by the phone. Uh, the Steelers called me down at Indiana State. I was uh, already in class, so they couldn't get a hold of me. They called my parents. My mother answers. My mom doesn't speak really good English. And Coach Dahl says, congratulations, Ms. Ilkin. We just drafted your son, Tunch, in the sixth round. Well, my mom freaked out because she thought I just got drafted into the Army. And so uh, it, it took me, uh, a, you know, a, a while to calm her down and say, no, this is a good thing. So I came to the Steelers in 80 after they just won the fourth Super Bowl. And there were, there were, so, there were nine Hall of Famers on that team. And I just remember coming to the Steelers and just being in awe. I mean, they were the standard. They had just won their fourth Super Bowl. And uh, I'm looking around, I'm thinking, wow, I'm looking around, I see Joe Green, Jack Lambert, Jack Hamm, Terry Bradshaw, Mel Blunt, Lynn Swan, and on and on and on. And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if, if it would be appropriate to get an autograph, because I thought to myself, if I get cut, I don't want to go home empty-handed. Uh, 
But what was more important than seeing all these great players, there were a bunch of guys on that team who loved Jesus, loved each other, and loved me. And, uh, and, and their love was so attractive. And I thought, growing up as a Muslim, I thought Christians were weird. I thought they were goofy. Uh, you know, I thought they're, they were effeminate. I, they, and I wanted nothing to do with Christians. They were just too weird for me. And yet I, I met all these men uh, who had love for Christ, and they had a, a sense of purpose and direction. And, and uh, they had something that I didn't have. And if you would ask them what the most important thing in their lives were or was, they wouldn't have said the four Super Bowls that they'd won. Uh, they wouldn't say the Pro Bowls that they played in or the Hall of Fame. Or uh, They would say the most important thing in their lives was the fact that they had a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And so as I started looking at these guys, and they were men's men, and I remember meeting John Kolb, and, and John Kolb was a starting left tackle for the Steelers, and he was the NFL's strongest man, and he competed in the world's strongest man, and he was a he was a cowboy from Oklahoma. I mean, he was a real man's man, but he had this love for Christ, and 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 um, he was also had, he was a great pass blocker, and he employed uh, 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 this thing called the punch, and he would punch you in his chest. I remember when. When he the first time I watched him punch Dwight White, he stopped him in his tracks. And I after the drill, I said, "How do you, how do you do that?" He said, "I punch him." I go, "Can you teach me how to do this?" So he said, "Brace yourself." So I braced myself, and he punched me in the chest, and it was it was like the paddles in the emergency room cleared, and I and and I felt, and I said, "Man, I man, I want to learn." So I started following John Kolb around, and I'd go work out with him. I go watch film with him, and Mike Webster was another guy, Hall of Famer, you know, just a. A, a real tough guy. And these guys had a love for Christ. And they spoke of Jesus as if they knew him intimately. Well, obviously they did. Uh, they spoke of him uh, as if in relationship because they, they had a relationship with him. And they spoke about going to heaven as if it was a slam dunk. And I'd never known that. Now, growing up as a Muslim, you uh, the, the way I was taught by my parents was it was kind of a scales uh, mentality. If your good outweighs your bad, then uh, you had a shot to get into heaven. But you never knew with Allah because the 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 kind of in some ways the the way I learned about Allah was that He was a distant God. The the Quran says you could never understand God. He is Allah. He is too vast. He is He is too giant and. And maybe a bit fickle because there was a saying in Turkish, Allah bilir, only God only knows how you stand before him. So the, the God of uh, Islam is distant and foreboding. And, uh, and I didn't, and, and, and the, you know, growing up as a Muslim, I was more, I grew up more with a kind of a fear of God uh, and not a desire to know him. So I came to the Steelers and I met a bunch of guys who talked relationally about God, and this kind of blew me away. This was just such a uh, a change in anything that I'd ever known. And we were uh, uh, coming back from a Monday night game, and Mike Webster, uh, who had me pinned in the back of the plane, asked me the question that every man, woman, and child has to answer. He said, if you died today, where would you spend eternity? How do you know? And, uh, and I said, gee, what, what be, I, I don't know. And, and he kind of uh, pressed me a little bit harder. He said, no, if you died today, you stood before God. And he said, why should I let you my kingdom? What would you say? And I said, I, I don't know if God grades on a curb. I figure 
maybe, you know, maybe I'm in. Uh, I was looking around the plane to figure out who I was better than. And, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, and I was kind of on that C uh, level. Um, and, and, and I'll never forget this. This is the first time I heard the message of, uh, of the gospel. Webby said, well, God doesn't grade on a curve, Tunch. Uh, God is holy, 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 and he is just. And in his holiness, he looks upon us. He has to look upon us uh, in justice. He said, the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all men have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not, not some, not most, not everybody, uh, but Mother Teresa, but all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then it goes on to say in Romans 6, he said, the penalty for this death or the wages, or in other words, to your way of thinking, what you earn uh, is death, not just physical death. You know, of course, we all die, but uh, uh, spiritual death, uh, uh, eternal separation from God. And, I, you know, I'll, I remember this because we played the Oakland Raiders and I, f- I was feeling kind of good about myself because I had a good game. We, we lost, but I had still had a good game. I was still feeling good about myself. And um, and, uh, and and as he was pressing me, I, you know, I, w- I was thinking, so what does that mean? He said, but the gift of God is eternal life and it is in Christ Jesus. So, so touch you, you, you can't earn it. Uh, you can't buy it. You can't be good enough. Uh, you know, the Bible tells us that uh, that all our righteous works are but dirty rags, but you can just receive that gift. And it was the first time in my life that anybody told me that salvation was a free gift. You know, uh, uh, Romans 5, 8, that while we were still sinners, Christ died on a cross for us. And, uh, um, you know, I, I remember going back to my seat, trying to process all of this uh, at the same time. You know, uh, I, I always say this, that I fell in love with the body of Christ before the person of Christ. And uh, uh, so these guys, although I didn't understand what it meant to be a Christian, I knew they were Christian. And I knew that I was very, very attracted to the love that they have for one another. You know, of course, Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples, that you would love one another. And I remember thinking before I even knew that verse, I was going, there's something different about these guys. And, uh, uh, and and so seeing John Stallworth and Donnie Shell was the human torpedo. He would hit anything that moved. And he has such a love for Christ and such a passion for Christ. And not only, uh, you know, was he this passionate football player, but every time he would, you know, speak to the media, he would talk about God's God's gift, God's salvation, God's glory. And it was just this this passion that you would see on the football field. In, you know, knocking out Earl Campbell and then standing over him and praying for him after he broke three of his ribs. Um, and then uh, sharing the, the good news of, of the gospel at the same time. So I was very, very attracted to this. Uh, at the same time, my roommate, uh, Craig Wolfley, who grew up in a Christian home, and, uh, you know, although Craig was going through his own prodigal experience, he knew the word. Uh, and so we, you know, I remember. I wouldn't suggest partying with a guy and sharing Christ in the process, but I, but that's kind of the way it was working. And, and I didn't see any, you know, I didn't see any inconsistencies or hypocrisy in that. I just thought, you know, I was listening to him. Uh, sure. I always joke now some 30 some years later, I always joke with Craig. I go, you were taking Paul's exhortation uh, to be all things to all people so that you, you would win some to the gospel uh, seriously. Um, but I remember his father was dying of leukemia. And uh, we had just gone to a uh, a youth football banquet, and um, 
uh, he he was really, you know, he was feeling me kind of weaken. And he said, Tunch, would you like to pray to receive Christ? He says, it's just a simple prayer of submission. Uh, he, and he said, you're just basically admitting that you're a sinner. You know that. I, yeah, that was no, that was, I mean, I was just a shell of a man. I just felt so empty uh, and that there's got to be something more to life than I was living. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, we were talking about his dad and about the fact that his father was dying. And I asked him, I said, man, how are you handling this? This is, this would be so burdensome to me. And he said, touch my dad loves Jesus. And he said, the moment he closes his eyes here on earth, he will open his eyes in the presence of almighty God and Jesus, because of his love, because of my dad's love for him. And because of the penalty that Jesus played, um, paid on the cross on our behalf, uh, he will be in his presence. And, and, and what Jesus is going to say because of my dad's love for him is well done, good and faithful steward. Enter your master's reward. Uh, and then he went on to say, for this is the testimony. First John, God has given us eternal life. And this eternal life is in his son. He who has the son has eternal life. He who does not have the son of God does not have eternal life. And uh, then it goes on to say, I, I, I write, I write this to you so that you may know. And, uh, and I remember thinking to myself, wow, so I can have eternal life. It is a gift. I just have to admit that I'm a sinner. That's no problem. I know that. Uh, and just commit to following Jesus. And he said, would you like to pray? And I remember these words came out of my mouth almost before I could think about it. I go, oh, no, that would be too weird. Uh, you know, once again, I'm going back. The worst thing that you can do as a Turk, as a Muslim, is give your life to Christ because now you're, you know, you become an infidel and they vote you dead in your families. And my mom and dad are both Muslim. I'm thinking they're going to freak out. Um, and I said, I need to think about this a little bit more. And as I was getting out of the car in my house, uh, Wolf says, don't wait too long. I'd hate for you to die before you had that opportunity. Go in the house. I'm reading uh, the late great planet earth by Hal Lindsey. The end of the book, he gives you an opportunity to pray the sinner's prayer. I'm in my room. Uh, and I said, Lord, I don't, I know I'm a sinner, that I know. And I believe that you died on the cross for me. Come into my life, forgive me, make me a new creation. And that was my, that was the start of my walk with Christ. That was February of 1982. Tunch, as you began to grow in Christ, what, what were the biggest areas of change you began to see in your life? Well, the first one was the drugs, Wiz. <laughs> All of a sudden I go, uh, does that mean I have to stop getting high? And, uh, and the, the interesting thing is I tried to, um, keep smoking dope while I went after I gave my life to Christ. I, you know, once again, when, when, when I first gave my life to Christ, I called up, uh, at the time she was my fiance, Sharon, and, uh, we hadn't been, we hadn't got married yet. And, um, I said, Hey, guess what? She goes, what? I go, I just became a Christian. She goes, well, what does that mean? I go, I'm not quite sure, but I, 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 I don't think I'm going to hell, and I'm really happy about that. And uh, <laughs> she said, I think there's more to it than that. And so, um, you know, I, I, I knew that I had to quit doing drugs, and, uh, but I had been doing drugs for, uh, golly, about 10, 10, 11 years now. And, and so, um, uh, and, and, and I, at first, I tried to uh, straddle the fence. 
you know, to, to live in the world of sin and live in the world uh, of righteousness. And, and uh, well, as you guys know, you get chafed pretty bad trying to live it that way. Uh, our good buddy Hollis Half, who was our team chaplain, who was a terrific, terrific uh, discipler, terrific disciple maker. I remember one day uh, in a Bible study, he was talking about uh, really living for Christ. And, um, you know, he brought up the verse, and I, and I forget, I think it's in Matthew, where, where Jesus says, if you are ashamed of me here on earth, uh, I will be ashamed of you when the Father comes. And I, and I went, ooh. I was kind of, that was, that was me. I, I, cause I was thinking, how do I tell my parents? How do I tell my friends, all my drug buddies? Do I dump? I, I, I just became a God squatter. You know, that's what we, I used to call Christians, God squatters. And, uh, and then, um, uh, and then he continued on talking about Galatians 6, 7. He said, do not be deceived for God shall not be mocked. What a man soweth, so he shall reap. And, and I was, and it, it just hit me in the heart. Like I was, I was mocking God. And, uh, cause I was trying to, straddle that fence and and the third verse uh that he used uh, was uh, in revelation john's uh, or the lord's warning to the church at laodicea i wish you were uh hot or cold but since you are lukewarm i'll spew you out of my mouth and that was me i was uh lucas warmus uh you know it's latin of course uh but and so then all of a sudden I said, all right, man, I got to change. And that was, that was the biggest area. I, I, I quit doing drugs. Um, I didn't quit drinking altogether, but I, but I cut down tremendously. I'm a, I was never a big drinker. I was more of a druggie. Um, and that was the biggest, that was the biggest hurdle was, um, number one, becoming comfortable with who I was in Jesus and not feeling like now I was a weirdo, uh, and living for Christ and not being a, Secret Service Christian, as Colby used to say back in the day, um, and, uh, and and living for him, and the, and the and the process was slow, but it was also very deliberate. And you and I started getting together and and in Bible studies, and and Colby was mentoring all of us, and Hollis was mentoring us, and and Webby was, you know, Webby gave me my first Bible, and uh, uh, and so going to the Bible studies and locking arms with men. I was drawn to men uh, in prayer and men in fellowship and, and men in the study of the word right from the get-go. That was not a hard bridge from there. So I knew, okay, you want to be a godly man? All right, th- those are the guys. That's what it looks like. So I'm going to go, I'm gonna go uh, be with those guys because I know uh, then that's where the real transformation will, will happen. The other thing, I think the, the hardest thing, the second hardest thing was speaking truth. I was such a liar. Uh, you know, in, 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 in I want to say that my culture kind of, uh, promotes lying, but it, you know, you, you, you know, I'd lied to avoid conflict. I'd lied to, uh, make things easier. I mean, I just lied all the time. It just was very natural to me. And that was really hard. You know, I started catching myself in lies that I had told for so long and realize that wait a sec, that's not truth. That's a story I would tell. And so changing that whole process of my personality and catching myself, uh, you know, th- you know, that was that was a slow transformation, probably slower than getting rid of drugs uh, and, and, and not drinking a whole lot. I was, you know, the uh, telling the truth became, you know, I had, to, I had to think about it. You know, I, I had to, you know, I would catch myself. Wait a second, wait a second, I'm sorry. That's not true. 
It's a story I used to tell. Here's the truth. And, uh, and that was a, a real challenge. And then the third challenge and the biggest area of transformation was telling my buddies, all my buddies back home in Chicago, was, hey, you never guess what happened to me. And, and you know, it's like, okay, Tunch got religion. That's good for you. I've been praying for the same six buddies of mine since 1982. And I keep praying. I just keep praying and, and asking, Lord, won't you save them? Lord, won't you soften their hearts? Lord, I love these guys. Please save them. And uh, those guys are still, um, they're still being prayed for. They, uh, they're still where they're at. Uh, and, um, but, you know, they're, they're open to me, which is great. And then the other area was my parents. Uh, I, you know, my mom flipped out and my mom was the easy one. But God put uh, a Turkish woman in her path, and I gave her a New Testament. And after she found out and felt felt like she failed as a mother, she started reading uh, the New Testament in Turkish. And she met a, a Christian Turkish woman in San Francisco who was very bold, Island. I thank God for Island because Island didn't care which Turks were around and started sharing Jesus. And she went to church with her and started understanding. And then finally, my mom gave her life to Christ. Uh, and is just, you know, loves the Lord now at 83 and real involved in church and Bible study and, and, and studying the word on her own. My dad, I was a little worried about because my dad, you know, he wasn't going to come to when Sharon and I got married. He wasn't going to come to our wedding because it was in a church. He said that my dad spoke in proclamations. I will not come to the wedding. It, it, and I go, what do you mean you're not coming? It is against my honor. I go, what do you mean it's against your honor? So honor, shame, culture. Uh, and so finally, my uncle Saka, who not my real uncle, but I called him my uncle, and he was a cleric, and he blessed. Uh, he read a he read a passage from the Quran, blessed the the wedding. It was a very eclectic wedding, I might say. <laughs> we got married in the Catholic Church by Sharon's. Uh, uh, Uncle Father Dave, my best man, Jake, was Jewish, and my Uncle Saka blessed it as a Muslim. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so, um, you had it all covered. I had it all covered. And for, you know, if something happened on that day, psh, <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, the, um, but I was afraid to tell my dad because of how he'd react. And, um, for years, four years, I prayed. I said, Lord, you got to do this because I was scared how you react. One day, he just said to me, we were watching um, the Bears play the Dallas Cowboys. And he said, uh, hey, how come you never told me you became a Christian? I went, what? He goes, how come you never told me you became a Christian? I said, I was afraid that you'd react. He goes, you know me. I'm one of those liberal guys. I think that's great. I go, no, you're not one of those liberal guys. <laughs> I, I expected him to blow up our relationship. I thought he was going to disown me. He goes, I think that's great. I said, how'd you find out? He goes, I read about it in the magazine. And I had shared my testimony in one of the uh, programs. And my dad got a hold of one. I don't know how he got a hold of it because I hid the ones that were in my house. Found it, read it. And then that was, you know, it was, you know, game on. I gave him a Bible. I started praying over him. I started praying with him. I started sharing Christ with him. And in 19, uh, 1990, he gave his life to Christ. And in, uh, in, uh, October of 1998, my father, who would not come into a church because it was against his honor, stood before the entire congregation and was baptized. Uh, and of course, baptized doesn't sa- baptism doesn't save you, but that public proclamation of an inward change was unbelievable. Very powerful. It was very, very powerful. And uh, my dad is uh, with the Lord. Amen. 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 So, Tunch, that experience with 
with those Steeler brothers that that really loved Christ mm-hmm. and uh, and modeled to you what it meant to be a disciple. That that led you into men's ministry, right? Yeah, you know, you you began to develop a real heart of compassion for men. Mm-hmm. And you've been in men's ministry for quite a long time. Right. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I was just so I remember being inspired by guys like John Colton and our buddy Ted Peterson and Lauren Taze and Donnie Shell. I was inspired. And um, and I wanted to, you know, uh, in First Corinthians 11, uh, one, I guess it is. Uh, Paul says, "Follow me as I follow Christ," and 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 that's what that was the environment. Follow me as I follow Christ, and and so uh, you and I doing camps and challenging one another, and encouraging one another, uh, and praying for one another, and doing life for one, and bearing our souls to one another, and then Wolf and Ted and. And Colby and, and House, that just inspired me. And, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll never forget that, you know, I did it informally my whole life with Christ. I was always in, I, I, I never didn't have men in my life. I, there, there was never a period of time where I was going, where the guys? I sought that out. I wanted accountability. I wanted you to know what I am capable of. I wanted you to know that my heart was dark. I wanted you to know. Like I would tell you, hey, I'm about to go over the deep end. You better pray, pray for me. You know, <laughs> I wanted you to. So, and I think that's what's uh, um, that's what helped shape me is the, you know, Ron Black or Ron Blackledge, uh, Ron Moore, our, our our head pastor, calls it 365, 360 degree accountability. That's that's what I want. So, and I and I'll tell you the thing that that the thing that really spurred me to get into it in a more ministry uh structural ministry level was when uh went the promise keepers at three river stadium i think it was 95 and i'll never forget the fact i played in that stadium for 13 years played playoff games there i worked out there i never felt the way i felt that friday night as promise keepers opened sixty thousand men singing praises to god and hearing the speaker steve farrar and and uh, the coach, uh, and just, I was moved. And then, you know, you were in ministry, and you encouraged me to get into ministry. And, uh, you know, uh, and so if I can if I can inspire a guy, or, and I can encourage a guy, or challenge a guy, or draw a guy like the men in my life uh, had, had that kind of effect on me, uh, you know, that's why uh, I jumped in. Tunch, so both of us uh, have been really impacted by godly men. And we had an early experience after giving our life to the Lord with the huddle. Talk about the huddle a little bit, Tunch. You know, the huddle is uh, a place where you're safe. You know, I love the football analogies because of uh, um, the way, you know, Whenever you're working hard, there, there's a there's a chapter in um, in uh, Stu Weber's book Locking Arms uh, that is entitled "What Old Men Remember," and it is a great it is a great chapter and it's a great visual and it starts out with these three buddies that go to their to the fourth buddy's uh, 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 viewing at, uh, at the uh, after he had passed away and the way they broke down and 
the way they talked about the old times, the hard work, the sacrifice together. And there's something special that happens whether you're in a sport like football or others, or whether you're on a job site or whether you're in the army. But when you battle together and you work together and you laugh together and you cry together and you win together and you lose together and you bleed together, there is a closeness that develops. Now, enter into that studying the word together. Bring in praying together. Man, now that closeness, and and people will say to me a lot of times, well, you experienced that because of football. Uh Uh-uh. We didn't invite, we didn't invent that. We didn't invent teamwork. God invented it. And so he made us relational, and he made us for community. And so growing together like that and sharing each other's burdens and and encouraging one another and challenging one another and going on, how many times have you and I said this? Boy, ministry would be boring if it was by yourself. If we didn't have each other to, to be in the battle together, man, that's what makes it rich. And so no matter what walk of life you come from, we all have issues. You know, uh, Robert Lewis said uh, manhood is in a state of confusion. Confused men make horrible decisions. Let's draw together and encourage one another and learn together. And so when we find out that we're all broken. Nobody's got it together. So we come in in our brokenness. We come out, we say, I got a dark heart. I I know what I'm capable of. But when I realize that the guy next to me has got, maybe he might not have the same issue, but he's got an issue. And, uh, And we could come and pray to one another and encourage one another and challenge one another and grow together. There is a richness that I, that I've experienced, been experiencing for a long time. And I would never I would never do without it. I would never put myself in a situation where I didn't have men in my life. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening today. I hope you were truly blessed. If you want more information about Testify It, please visit us at testifyit.com. That is T-E-S-T-I-F-Y-I-T dot com. Also, if you'd like more information about Locking Arms Men, please visit them at LockingArmsMen.org. That is L-O-C-K-I-N-G-A-R-M-S-M-E-N.org. Do you have a testimony to share? We would love to hear from you. Just go to Testify.com, fill out the testimony form. You can find it at the bottom of any page on the site. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and truly want one, call out to Him today. Decide to give over your life, surrendering it to Him, and choose to follow Him. He has already paid the price for your sins with His death on the cross. He was raised on the third day and will give you His everlasting life with Him. You will be born again, and He will place His Holy Spirit within you. Until next time, remember... You are loved by God, and He deeply desires a relationship with you.